I only have one left to really describe. I, I think that everybody knows the the qualities of this film. Only TJ had not seen this film. Everybody else has. So mm. the, now everything is complete. Um, we can die now. I hope not. Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one god man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 140 of the Movie Bite Podcast. This is a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, dinosaurs, and more. I'm TJ. I'll be your guide to this guided tour of Jurassic Movie Bite. I assure you that no expense was spared in producing this illustrious podcast. And joining me is the dinosaur science science expert and all-around nerd, Joe Darnell. How are you, Joe? Hey, TJ. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for the accolades. I, I feel so accoladed. Good, good, good. You should. Uh, although, I don't know. It depends on which scientist I was comparing you to. Uh, I, or I know which person. one you were comparing me to. Mm-hmm. It was very flattering. Mm. I mean, it could have been the, jo- uh, the Goldblum character. Mm, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, actually, no. He's super sexy, and, and everybody loves him. Oh, so. my gosh. Get out of here with that. Just mm. leave. Just go mm. away. Mm. He was mm. so awful in this movie. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know. I don't necessarily mean awful as an actor. I mean awful like as a person. Mm. The character was awful, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Ah, okay. Ah, huh. <sighs> so, out of the bag now. Well, no. I, 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 to say that a character was awful, I didn't even mean it in the sense of he was an awfully written character. I mean, as a character, uh, his character was like r- stupid. Really? Like, he was. Uh, he was kind of a jerk. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. This is not the, the format of the show, Joe. We have to stick with the format of the show. Yeah, I felt like that was the teaser, the teaser trailer. It was the teaser for what's to come later. I may mm. or may not have liked this movie. We don't know for sure yet. But one thing we do know, we're very upset about, Joe. In fact, you're probably you're probably more upset about this than I am, so why don't you tell well, us? Probably just a little bit. Yeah, the Tron 3 sequel was canceled. And now I've this heard is, about this. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is according to the Tectonic website. What is this website you you? Oh, uh, this show? is just a little thing that um, some people I know write. And uh, mm-hmm. oh, looky mm-hmm. there, it's on my computer. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, I happen to write a little bit about this because uh, I'm interested in technology, as you know, TJ. And I know that the Tron Legacy film is not like real world science and technology, what? but it's really fun what? and it's good. Uh, technologically advanced sort of sci-fi you know it's 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 focusing on old new uh nostalgic computer stuff uh video games arcades it stars you know jeff bridges who is awesome the dude you know anything he is in is just great so little fun stuff and i really like tron so uh sue me and uh you know what happened was disney they, they just got really busy tj they don't ha- know how to say no to a um, a reboot <laughs> of something and so they're, they're doing all these things they're taking on yeah. all these extra projects and they realized if they were going to make this Tron sequel, they would have to start in 2018. At that point, they just realized since they, the, the last movie came out in 2011, well, why bother? So they were going to drop it. Well, I mean, I've, I've got a, a list here of upcoming uh, Disney films, and they're not all trash. I mean, to be fair, no, this no, year is not. filled with good movies. Inside Out, The Good Dinosaur, and Star Wars The Force Awakens are all on the slate for Disney. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I know that I'm really looking forward to bears and planes and uh, Frozen Three. <laughs> right, and, you're kind of um, you're kind of stealing my thunder here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've got the Jungle Book coming out in 2016. Eh, we'll see about that. Alice Through the Looking Glass, which is a oh, follow up to Alice in Wonderland from uh, whatever year that was, the, the Tim Burton thing. And then you've got Finding Dory. That's probably going to be good. You've got Pete's Dragon in 2016. No, I think we. I think I'd rather see Tron. Uh, you've got Beauty and the Beast. Is this a real thing? I haven't even heard of this before. I'm just looking yeah. at the list here. Live action, live oh, action. Goodness TJ. gracious! Uh, so then there's uh, Star Wars Episode uh, Eight, Toy Story Four, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tale No t- Tell No Tales. These are all 2017 movies, by the way. Uh, I just I'm uh, Giants, uh, Cars Three, Frozen Two. I, you know. I think that there could have been room for Tron. I think that we would have had a better, but but they've decided to to you know to shelf Tron for for reasons. Well, well, TJ, listen to this. Let's just go a little bit farther down the list. After we have Toy Story four, we have Pirates of the Caribbean twenty, and then after that we have Star <laughs> Wars um, dot dot dot, and then we have Giants. Okay, that sounds original. Then untitled Pixar animation film, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. untitled Disney animation mm-hmm, film. Mm-hmm. Then what do we have? We have Cars three. Frozen 2, The Incredibles 2. Why is The Incredibles 2 coming after the other two? Like, that's ridiculous. Oh, that's a, that's a great question, but I mean... Oh. And then I'm you sh- go a little bit farther down the list. Uh, it's still under the list of TBA. We have oh, Mulan. Aren't you, but Joe, aren't you looking forward what? to Winnie the Pooh? Come on, man. Winnie Pinocchio. the Pooh? Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Oh, surely Tink. Tink. You're surely looking forward to Tink. Tink. TJ. <laughs> we need to quit. <laughs> There's no hope left. Suffice it to say that I think both of us can agree that there is plenty of room on this list (sighs) for Tron 3. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Please. I I have to fully agree that this just just makes no sense. Why would you cancel Tron 3 in favor of any of of some of these that we're – I just mm. – there is a a truckload here that they could offload and make room for Tron 3. And I think that there is a large misconception that the Tron franchise didn't make enough money, but it, it actually did. It proved that it can make money. And if you're going to build on the shoulders of Tron Legacy, then you stand the chance of making more money and you had earned more respect in the community because they were doing things in the Tron franchise they couldn't pull off with other kids' cartoon character franchises. So some of the people, uh, fans of the movie series, they got onto change.org and created a petition mm-hmm. for the continuation of the Tron f- films. And, you know, I, I don't – I seriously doubt it's going to amount to a hill of beans. No, no, no. Uh, but it, it stands to reason that it should it should be proven that, you know, there are some fans out there that uh, care about this franchise. Uh, we're not going to have Jeff Bridges with this uh, able to pull off characters like Kevin Flynn much longer. So – if if you're gonna do it, you're you're missing out on your last chance, and um, that just shows a lot of short sightedness on Disney's part. I mean, like I'm sure that they have racked their brain in the boardrooms, and they've had the conference calls and the lengthy email threads where they talked about this decision, but they made the wrong choice. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, um, when I signed the petition myself and talked about it on Tectonic. Uh, there were about, I think it was just under, uh, uh, I think it was just over 6,000 who had signed the petition. And now there's over 27,000, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't, that's not a drop in the bucket. That's pretty good considering that it's obscure. Yeah, it doesn't obscure. get any press. It, 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 again, it's not going to amount to much, but it's at least no. shows there's people out there that care. And, and I yeah. don't think this means we'll never see Tron 3. It's just been tabled for the time being. Yeah, but see, that's the thing. 
it's like I said, you can only use Kevin Flynn for so much longer. Yeah. And that's but the problem. Do you think the next film would have been a lot, had a lot to do with Kevin Flynn? You know, they didn't need to. No, I don't think it needed to. But it, it, even if you had him in only about 15 minutes of the film, it would have made perfect sense because <laughs> Kevin is still the creator of, and, and he, he's, yeah. he's sort of like the, the, you know, the guiding light of the entire series. So if you need him, you need him now. And that's your last chance. Well, whatever, dude, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious, though, that Olivia Wilde kind of stole the stole the show. And I, you think so? Yeah, I think so. Mm. I know I know that the uh, son of Flynn wasn't the best of um, – He was okay. Him, or most interesting, okay. compelling characters. You know what I really okay. I, I really thought about? that We should we should have had uh, Joe Rosenstiel back on the show. I know that he's really sad about this news, and he was super yeah, keen. Yeah, me too. <laughs> really? Uh, mm, yeah. Yeah, he and I get along so much. You know, we see eye to eye. Oh, come on now. Anyway, no, he, <laughs> I think he, he, and, and I kind of, I tend to agree though. He, he told me on Twitter that it was for the best probably that this yeah. didn't move on. And in, in, uh, in a way I agree because there's, there's a lot of ways in really? which they could have screwed up the, uh, the, the, the sequel. And especially, oh, if, especially though, Joe, do you want a studio that's willing to drop this in favor of other lesser films making the sequel to Tron Legacy? Do you think they're worthy of that? I thought about that earlier today, and I think that the director, who is very unique, uh, Joseph Kaczynski, I'm not sure if that's his right name. Yes, that's correct. That just came to my mind. Mm -hmm. Okay, if he were helming the project, I feel like he has such a distinct style and wherewithal that he would pull it off. And even if it wasn't as good as Tron Legacy, if he gave us something as good as his other movie, what was it called? Um I want to call it obsession. That's no, not right. that's not it. I'll look it up. The I Tom know Cruise sci-fi yeah, film. Yeah, I know what you. Not everybody about. liked it, and it's not the best of films. But even if it were just as good as that, I'd be happy because I feel like there's just a lot left to be explored in the Tron world, and give it something. Oblivion. <laughs> Thank you. Oblivion. Obsession. Okay, that's close enough. <laughs> yeah. That, that's really all I have to say. I'm still going to enjoy Tron Legacy for all I, its Well, worth. I mean, look, I like Tron Legacy and I liked Oblivion. Um, they they were not, uh, you know, five star films or anything, but neither were they even three and a half star films. I believe I rated them both four stars, and that's Which is that's good. good. That's really good. Disney work, and I'm very happy. I, I, overall, I like Tron Legacy a little better than Oblivion, and and that's ultimately why I'm sad that we're not going to see more in this universe. I think this universe. Uh, that that's of the Tron universe, at least the way Legacy left it, is so rich and ready to be mined yes, for yes. for good stuff. But there is also so much potential for it to go so horribly wrong that I'm just like, well, you know, I, this is why I'm ultimately not as upset as you because I know that this way our hopes and dreams cannot be dashed nearly as badly. I See, suppose that's that's, that's weird. Mm. I, it, it sounds like you've been burned by too many prequels or something. It sounds like I'm a little cynical, doesn't it? Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> I mean, because look, we we all like uh, – there's nobody in the world that doesn't like the uh, original and the only Star Wars trilogy. But then you had that same director same or the same creator take the the stories and or, – or, or in the play it in the universe, in the sandbox, in a way that did not please us. Um, and so, you know, it can happen. You can take – Something that everybody loves and make something terrible with it. And I just don't, you know, given the mindset that we're seeing that this is coming out of, I just don't have a lot of faith that they could actually create a good Tron legacy follow-up. Okay. I, I, I understand. Um, I still think that given the right opportunity that they, they could have even topped legacy and, 
that you wouldn't need a better studio to make it happen. You would just have to have the right screenplay and director. That would have been enough. Now, can we at least agree? You said something earlier that everybody loves Tron and Tron Legacy. Can we at least Did agree? I say that? I'm sorry. Can we at I, least agree, though, that Tron Legacy is a far better film than Tron? I I want to say from my personal taste standpoint, I completely agree. But I have ran into a, a percentage of people that ad- advocate for the original because I, I don't like the original yeah. that much, but I'm fine if people do. But I, I don't have a lot of patience right. for people who say that that Tron is better than Tron Legacy. Because because Tron Legacy was a far better film. And I, I have to agree. But I think that even though I do agree, I think the reason that I agree is that I think that Tron Legacy, even though it's a slower paced film that may feel uh, – dull at times or just lengthy at times and that's the main criticism that everyone thrusts at it in spite of that it has more sense of timelessness it feels like a film you could still sit down and and really enjoy if you were into sci-fi in 20 years whereas the original tron film is incredibly dated i don't think that they were self-aware at the time with the film they didn't expect you to watch it and care about it 20 years later. Absolutely. I completely agree and with that's, that. That's the problem is that the original film was so timely that it worked so well for that moment and then it was over. It's a, yeah, it was a very dated take on computers and I, I know that in a, in a way Tron Legacy and as, uh, Tron Legacy is as well but it, it definitely has more of a timeless like here look we know that our take on computers is crazy and so we're just going to go with it where it's almost like the original Tron was like this is where computers are headed and this is totally real and this is the thing, this is the thing that could happen. And, and mm. Tron Legacy is very much more self-aware in that this is not the way computers work and we know that and we're just telling you a fantasy story. Uh, mm. you, you mentioned something interesting. You said that Tron Legacy uh, sometimes is criticized for being overlong and, and overtired or, or something like that. Just as a, boring. As, as boring, as opposed to the original. I found the original very boring and lackluster and not, not Tron Legacy at all. So it's just huh. weird, different people's perceptions. I, right. I don't, I, I, I joked that I said I have no patience for uh, <sighs> someone finding one of the original better than the second. I, I, yeah, honestly, yeah. that's a thing that I put on. I, I don't, well, if you, you yeah. like what you like, but I just find it strange. Well, speaking of things that are strange, I've even come across a few people who didn't know the difference between the original and the sequel. They thought they were basically like the same film. They got them mixed up. They, they were what? like, Oh, that was an old one. That was a new one. Oh. And I was like, are you kidding me? How do you do that? <laughs> Have you watched any movies in the eighties? <laughs> How do you not know that that's a dated film? Yeah. So. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, um, I think we should move on to the official announcement of Eddie Redmayne as Newt's commander in J.K. Rowling's upcoming film, or the one that she wrote at least, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Eddie Mm. Redmayne, uh, known mostly to me for his role in a recent film uh, by the Wachowski brothers, Jupiter Ascending. Uh, Fantastic, actually, that he did. Uh, Some people say that it, it was like a a stilted performance or an overwrought performance. I found it fantastic. I thought he made some great choices as an actor in that film. So I'm looking forward to seeing now. Now the thing that we don't know uh, is what kind of a character, um, uh, J, uh, Newt's commander is we, we, so it's hard to tell if this is good casting or not. Obviously I think that they've done a fantastic job though of casting the world of Harry Potter in general. And I know JK Rowling was involved in that process before and she has even more power now, so I'm hopeful that it's great casting. That's that's what I'm hoping here. Mm. I, I'm I feel confident that Eddie Raymond can do it, and he he you know the thing about the Harry Potter franchise is that when it's all said and done, you're going to have to call on 
hundreds of characters, hundreds of actors to fill in for dozens of different roles. It, it, it seems like it, when it's all said and done, you practically employ everybody from the UK in the original <laughs> Harry Potter franchise. That's true. That's true. So there was it was a lot inevitable. Of in there. Yeah. Redmayne would wind up in this franchise one way or the other. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm still a little iffy. I, I have a lot of faith in JK Rowling as a writer, so I'm hopeful that it'll be good, but I'm st- like, like what I wanted, I think I've, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but what I wanted was more Harry Potter, not, not prequel. This is essentially a prequel, right? Cause, uh, he wrote one of the books that, that Harry uses in school, um, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them this is the name of the book that Harry used in school. So, so this is like a thing about, about Newt Scamander and his antics with Fantastic Beasts in the Wizarding World. I, I don't know. I don't find the premise particularly engaging or I, I'm not particularly drawn to it. I'm only drawn to it because I want more Harry Potter of some kind and because I love J.K. Rowling's books. Um, so I, I just don't know what to make of all this in general. I'm, I'm kind of sort of excited and sort of like, eh, what is this? I don't know. What is your relationship with all this? What, how are you? Feeling I'm pretty about excited this? about it because the Harry Potter world is so well developed that if they wanted to go and tell a story all about Hagrid, I think that they could do that. Or if they wanted to talk about, you know, Hagrid's cousin that you never saw, twice removed, he, that story could be interesting as well. Just because there are so many interesting devices in this particular fleshed out world that they proved with. Well, like I said earlier, just it seems like hundreds of characters that there is something to say about all different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if they happen to not include characters from the Harry Potter stories. Oh, that, well, it can't. It's like 50 years before. Right. Then they can still develop more of the backstory, more of like a prologue. I don't want to say prequel because I don't think that that's what they're going for. But I think that the material would um, put some names, faces, and stories together for maybe some of the people that show up in paintings that you see up on the wall in, in, uh, in <laughs> that, Hogwarts. That would be fun. And, and I suppose conceivably there could be some form of Professor McGonagall or, or Dumbledore even because uh, Dumbledore was a hundred and some years old when he died. Uh, and I won't reveal how that happened. <laughs> I suppose it's even a spoiler to say that he did die. Uh, but, did he die? I don't uh, know. <laughs> How do you not know, man? No, no, no. There's a Dumbledore alive at the end of the series. That's true. There is. Um, mm. uh, yes. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, it's conceivable that some of the older characters, such as Professor McGonagall or uh, Albus Dumbledore, could appear in this mm-hmm. film as younger versions of themselves, and that might be interesting. Or um, even if you just learn something like the, the, back, the story of Dumbledore's parents. I mean, for crying out loud, they could have some kind of connection, and that, that's enough for me. I don't think we're going far enough back for Dumbledore's parents, although we also know that there would have only been one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I just – I think there was other more fascinating things to explore, but – at least to me. But this is J.K. Rowling's world, and she's done a fantastic job with it. And have, have you actually read the books, or are you just familiar with the movies? Just the movies. I've only read one and a half of the books. Oh, man. And I'm sure you read like the first book, right? So Yeah, well, you know, it was good enough for me. I want to read them through when the kids were a little bit older. The first book was fine. The second book was good. The third book was fantastic. The fourth book was fantastic. The fifth fifth book was amazingly fantastic. The sixth book was wow. And the seventh book was blow you away. Good. So hmm. highly recommended. I uh, I highly recommend the Jim Dale audiobook. Uh, he reads the audiobook versions 
and I highly, highly recommend it. Um, it's great if you're commuting or if you just don't have time to read or if you're working, but it's work that you could listen to something. It is fantastic. I highly recommend it. He's such a good uh, reader, and J.K. Rowling is such a good writer. She writes fantastic characters. I can't say enough good about this, Joe. I just can't do it. Fantastic stuff. But in terms of fantasy, best series I've ever read. Wow. Yeah. There you go. I have nothing else to add. Are you going to have a link to the particular one you recommend in the show notes? Yeah, the, and I, uh, I, meant to, I meant to mention earlier, uh, in, in terms of your Tron uh, petition, that will also be in the show notes. All the things that we talk about that have links, they yeah, will yeah. be in the show notes. Joe, where okay. will we find these show notes at? Moviebyte.com slash podcast slash 13, sorry, 140. Yes, 140. That's important. It's 140 for these particular show uh, notes. You will get 10 episodes ago if you do 130. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> So uh, I had put something in the in the show outline, and you had graded out, uh, and so yeah, I, and I had said I could be talked out of, uh, of of talking about it. So I just wanted to mention it because it okay. was it's just I just we don't have to talk about it long, but just Disney Channel's Descendants <laughs> the trailer. Looks, we're not going to talk about it. But looks we're gonna talk terrible. About it, for a bit. it looks awful, and I don't recommend it. And it's not going to be in the show notes because we're not talking uh-huh. about it. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> but you know what does look good uh, is <laughs> the good dinosaur. Um, I don't know if it looks good or not, actually, but uh, here it I don't know. It's a trailer anyway. So this is a very visual trailer. So for our listeners, we're seeing a bunch of a ring of asteroids bumping into each other. And millions of years ago, an asteroid went spiraling to Earth, apparently. And we see dinosaurs munching away. An asteroid six miles wide, the screen says destroyed every dinosaur on earth we're zooming into the earth on this asteroid and then it says but what if dot 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 and the asteroid passes by and doesn't land on earth so that apparently is the premise of the good dinosaur by pixar at least the very basic premise is that we're going to see humans and dinosaurs together because i guess we're in an alternate universe where according to the theory of evolution uh, dinosaurs uh, were went extinct before humans came along, and something occurred in this alternate universe that, that that dinosaurs didn't go extinct, and so we have humans and dinosaurs together. That seems to be the premise that is going on here. Sounds good. You Sounds did? like a bedtime story. Are you interested? Are you excited? Are you excited? I like dinosaurs. I'm not excited. By the looks of the trailer, it looks more like a, a kid's bedtime story than anything else. But but. Has there ever been any Pixar films like that that you thought the same about and then were super excited about? I mean, think well, back, okay. Joe. Just think about the premise of the story. It's going to be one of those like the dinosaur has to act like the master's pet sort of things. They're getting to know each other. They're getting to learn each other. So we're going to have these experiential situations where it's like a boy meets world and um, you know animal meets civilization and then along the way, they become best friends. Good for them, which is all fun and games, and it's good for kids. But you know, it, it's a tried and true thing that all the adults and parents have already seen. And even if Pixar wants to give their special spin on it, I bet you that oftentimes we're going to see you know something uh, fun and quirky in the movie and say, "Oh yeah, I see where Pixar borrowed that idea." And, and it, it, you know what it reminds me of is what they did with Monsters University. Mm. Even though Monsters University felt very fun and original, it also harkened to so many other 
other uh, stories about life on campus. So you saw, you know, the story of so many other student related, you know, shenanigan movies playing out through Monsters University. And I could see this sort of film uh, being the same approach for Pixar that they would present something that feels reminiscent to, well, other stories in the ballpark of this, this concept. And the other thing too is, like I say, TJ, I'm I'm just kind of a little worn out of movies that have stories where it's all a journey and they're all in foot and they have to get some to some final destination or yeah. there is a chase. And I, I'm willing to bet you that this story has in large part to do with just, you know, being on the road again, trying to get from point A to point B and some people trying to stop you on the way. Well, I don't want to tip my hand yet as to what I'm feeling about this trailer exactly, but I do want to just ask you, Joe, honestly, if you could watch the Toy Story trailer with fresh eyes, never having seen Toy Story, never having seen a trailer, never having heard of anything like this before, would you not feel somewhat the same way? Because Toy Story looks very much like a children's bedtime story kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and that's very true. It's really hard for me to 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 think of Toy Story uh, appropriately. Sure, because, me too. Because I saw it when I was, well, I guess I was about nine years old is when right, I saw the right. trailer. And I was absolutely mesmerized. And mm -hmm. I, I think that this kind of movie, TJ, could work on kids today the same way. You know, my kids are actually not interested in Toy Story films. Really? I've tried. I, I've given them the toys. See, I've tried to hook them on the movies. I cannot get them interested. That's so weird because to me, Toy Story is still, still <sighs> the best set, the best film franchise that Pixar has done or come up with. Still. I honestly agree. I, I do. Yeah, there, there is not I, – I, as much as I, I have a lot of love right here, I'm pointing at my heart. I have a lot of love in my heart for The Incredibles. It is fantastic, but I can't say that it's better than any of the Toy Story films. I just can't because I just have such a love for the Toy Story films. I have a love for those characters. I have a love for the stories that are told. I have a love for just how – much those stories tug on the heartstrings. I love, I love for how self-aware they are of their place in the world and what they're doing and who they're affecting. I just love everything about the Toy Story franchise. And it is so rare that I feel that every single film in a franchise is exactly the same level of good. Like I could not rate one above or below the other. I just couldn't do it. It is mm. so rare. I don't know of another franchise in which that's true. And I hope Toy Story 4 doesn't ruin that track record. But so all that said, I feel like you would have seen the Toy Story trailer, and I, I, I really can't look at this objectively, Joe, just like you, uh, because of my love for Toy Story. But I feel like if you were to look at the Toy Story trailer, having never heard of Pixar, having never seen it, you would feel kind of the same way that you're feeling about this uh, Good Dinosaur trailer. Now, all that said, I'm ready to tip my hand and say this trailer has not done a thing to get me interested in, in the film. I don't mm. think that means one thing or another for the film. I just think it means that somebody needs to do better with the trailer. <laughs> but again, it's a teaser. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not turned off by it. I just right. Well, not... see, that's the thing about Pixar films trailers is they're uh, they're not very good representations. I don't know. Movies. I feel like I saw the uh, the Incredibles trailer and I was hooked. I feel like I don't remember yeah. for sure. Yeah. Even their better trailers, though, are not good representations of their movies. So you can still be sold on the film and feel like, oh, yeah, that's going to be compelling. And then you go to see the film and find that it feels like a very different story. Yeah. And I think that yeah. that has more to do with mar marketing decisions than um, creative ones. That uh, The trailers are not, in their case, aimed to be good representations of their films. 
they're trying to push people's buttons so that they'll buy an expensive ticket. Sure. Sure. Which I can't blame them. Yeah. Well, um, so Inside Out is coming up uh, in just several days, basically. June 19th, that is a day after my 10th anniversary with my lovely wife. Um, Are you going to watch it with the, you know, the wife? <laughs> Maybe. Mm-hmm. So so Inside Out uh, and then The Good Dinosaur. They're both original films. And then we get back to the, the sequels. We're back into Finding Dory and Toy Story 4. So it'll be interesting. They're, they're, they're going back and forth on, on these between, you know, uh, original films now and, and sequels. And it felt like for a while Pixar had gotten sequel-itis. Uh, and they seem to maybe be coming out of that a little bit. So, and then they're going to go right back into it. Yes, but if if they can produce more original films with the sequels, because we, it's not like we don't want the sequels. It's but we want to see Pixar's original work too, if they still have it in them. And I think that's what that's what scares us because they they turned out Cars two, which was mm, yeah, I didn't hate it as much as a lot of people, but it wasn't great, right? It wasn't yeah. Pixar great. And uh-huh. Brave, I just I never even went to see it because everybody everybody in the world says that it wasn't good. Um, and you, I, you still haven't seen it. I, one of these days I want to see it. It's just not been very high on have my your, list. Have your kids seen it? I don't think so. I don't think wow. they have. It's just not been very high on the list. Uh, you know, so it's, it's frustrating after several successes like Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Monsters, Inc., The Incredibles, fantastic, uh, Cars. I even loved Cars. A lot of people didn't. I loved Cars. I loved Ratatouille. I loved Wally. I loved Up. I loved Toy Story 3. And then they start churning out Cars 2 and Brave and, Monsters University, even as much as I loved it, was not up on the same level as previous Pixar films. So it, it's, you know, Inside Out, I'm a little concerned about. Good Dinosaur, I'm a little concerned about. So I don't know I'm yet. actually feeling pretty good about Inside Out. If it can maintain the quality I've seen in the trailers, mm. then I'll, I'll be happy. I actually got a little misty-eyed, TJ, as you like to say. Really? I got a little really? misty-eyed somebody, well, somebody chopping, the last one. Somebody chopping onions. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, some of those uh, 3D effects things, maybe it, was, maybe it was a 4D showing of the trailer. I don't know. Hmm. I, I haven't, I certainly haven't gotten emotional about these trailers yet. And I'm just a little concerned about the premise, I guess. Uh, just slightly. I, I don't the know. And it could be tough. great. It, it is great. pretty tough. Yeah. I don't know. But see, that's the thing is that we haven't actually point blank said it, but what Disney likes to do is to take classic fairy tales and classic literature and retell it their way mm-hmm. and Disneyify those classics. They've maligned many classics that way, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they don't really like to you know, spread their wings and find an altogether new story mythology. Like they've done it a few times, but it's their it's not their prime directive. Mm. Uh, you know, using words in you know terminology, <laughs> kinda, you can understand. There's a there's a a black hole forming and the universe is being sucked in. You're mixing the the worlds, Joe. <laughs> Uh, but, but as it concerns Pixar, the way that they approach the stories is they typically try to mash up something that's from the real world with something that is purely fantastic, not necessarily sci-fi or fantasy, and feels a little bit more like modern bedtime stories than something that has to do with classic literature. Um, so if, if you were to go to the library and just check out books in general for kids these days, and if you think about the books you read when you were a kid, a good number of them would feel like they have a similar approach to storytelling as Pixar. And I, I think that that's, I think that's purposeful. I'll tell you what, what really concerns me about Pixar right now is I look across this list and you know what I see? Toy Story, John Lasseter, <laughs> A Bug's Life, John Lasseter, Toy Story 2, John Lasseter, Monsters, Inc., John La- – uh, actually, that one doesn't have John Lasseter. Sorry. Uh, nope. Finding Nemo, John Lasseter is mentioned. Uh, the Incredibles doesn't have John Lasseter anywhere. Cars, John Lasseter. Uh, Ratatouille, um, 
Uh, well, maybe maybe I was over because uh, I don't see him listed there. Any, but John Lasseter was involved in a lot of these, and now all of a sudden he's he's missing in action, starting with Brave. So, and he doesn't come back until Toy Story Four. So that that's maybe I'm I'm just concerned maybe that he was the heart and soul of Pixar, and Pixar has lost its heart and soul. I wonder too about John Lasseter if he would have been better off for the sake of his creative prowess if he had just remained a creative person in the trenches mm-hmm. rather than becoming the leader that kind of directs all the things. Yes. I imagine he spends more time as a spokesperson and as a paper pusher than as a creative individual. It's, it's the whole victim of your own success thing. Uh, you know, I can yeah. see this happening even uh, in jobs that I've been in, maybe in jobs that I'm in where you you like doing X and, and you, you're really good at it. And then all of a sudden you find yourself at the top of the team and then you find yourself floating around helping people and then you find yourself managing the team and then you find that you are not doing the thing that you love to do anymore. And and maybe the team is suffering because you were the one that was good at the thing that you were doing, and now you're managing people. It, it just it's that frustrating thing, right? And how do you avoid that? And and you want the the good people like John Lasseter to be in charge of stuff, but you also want him doing the stuff that he's good at. So it's a little bit frustrating to to see this process and and to figure out what's going on. Well, in that being said, I actually felt like John Lasseter was sometimes already put into check that he was using a, a good team and he was just one part of a really solid team for well, sure. the Toy Story films. Sure. I'm not saying John Lasseter single-handedly was the good thing about those films. Right. But but see, the thing is, that's the thing. I think that when he was going through the transition from I'm just one of the directors to I am the respected public-facing director that most people know by name mm. and now I have more creative control over a film that I direct was when he took the helm for uh, Cars 1 and 2. And yeah. I th- my guess is, I like is cars, that those though. films are closer representations to what John would do given his own merits unchecked. Not necessarily a bad thing if you like John's storytelling and if you happen to be John, maybe you, those are your favorites. I don't know. Well, I should point out I that he had they are. pretty much sole control of the creative direction of Toy Story and it went well. <sighs> See, I'm not convinced of that. Mm. Because Disney had so many huge requirements of them. Mm. And and I also feel like because they were still a fledgling creative group that John was not yet in a position to trust all of his own wits yet. And he was relying on the input of many of his peers. I think that later on his peers had moved on to take care of many other important responsibilities. And the newer team that uh, John was assigned to with Cars Films were people that all looked up to John and said, well, whatever you want, John, it must be a good idea. Uh, I mean, like, I know they try really hard not to fall into those traps. Mm -hmm. But then you cannot look at the car's quality and think to yourself that it is equal to the the, the quality of their other better films. So you can tell there was something going wrong there. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't completely disagree. I just want to I, – I will defend uh, the original Cars film to the end because it is I, – I do enjoy it a lot. I'm not saying it's as good as, as the films that came before, but I'm saying it's it's better than people give it credit for. Mm. So there's that. It is. It is. And we've said a lot about a great number of things. Are we ready to talk about our review for today? I think we are. Why don't we talk about Jurassic Park? I own an island off the coast of Costa Rica. And I've spent the last five years setting up a kind of biological preserve. What kind of park is this? We've made living biological attractions so astounding 
that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. It's, it's a dinosaur. There's no doubt our attractions will drive kids out of their minds. Grandpa! We're going to make a fortune with this place. We're going to open next year. That is if the lawyers don't kill me first. What species is it? It's a velociraptor. The velociraptor. Ooh. <laughs> This was released on June the 11th, 1993. We are living on the edge, Joe. We're reviewing something so new. It had a budget of $63 million. The opening opening weekend, it brought in $47 million. And worldwide gross uh, has been $1 billion. The critics' consensus is that Jurassic Park is a spectacle of special effects and lifelike animatronics with some of Spielberg's best best sequences of sustained awe and sheer terror since Jaws. The director, as I alluded to in the critics' consensus, was Steven Spielberg. The writers were Michael Crichton, who wrote the novel, and David Coop, who wrote the screenplay. It had such stars as Sam Neill, Laura Darn, Jeff Goldblum, Richard Attenborough, Attenborough <clears throat> Bob Peck, Martin Ferrero, Joseph Mazzello, Ariana Richards, and Wayne Knight. The composer was, of course, mm-hmm. because this is a Steven Spielberg film, it was, of course, John Williams. Oh. Uh. Yes. So, Joe, why don't you tell us about the storyline? Steven Spielberg's phenomenally successful sci-fi adventure thriller is graced by state-of-the-art special effects from George Lucas's Industrial Light and Magic. The film follows two dinosaur experts, Dr. Alan Grant and Dr. Ellie Sattler, as they are invited by eccentric millionaire John Hammond to preview his new amusement park on an island off Costa Rica. By cloning DNA harvested from prehistoric insects, Hammond has been able to create living dinosaurs for his new Jurassic Park, an immense animal preserve housing real brachiosaurs, dilophosaurs, triceratops, velociraptors, and a tyrannosaur rex. Accompanied by cynical scientist Ian Malcolm, who is obsessed with chaos theory, and Hammond's two grandchildren, They are sent on a tour through Hammond's new resort in computer-controlled touring cars. But as a tropical storm hits the island, knocking out the power supply, and an unscrupulous employee (laughs) sabotage... And I hate hate words like unscrupulous. (laughs) (laughs) And an unscrupulous employee sabotages the system so that he can smuggle dinosaur embryos out of the park. The dinosaurs start to rage out of control. Grant then has to bring Hammond's grandchildren back to safety as the group is pursued by the gigantic man-eating beasts. In a world where Joe Darnell reads storylines. Mm-hmm. That was yeah, a long yeah. one, Joe. Yeah, doozy. I had to take a few extra breaths of air there. All right, Joe, mm-hmm. as we get into this review, you had some questions for me. Yes. Okay, so first of all, we should say that we are reviewing this film because we have Jurassic World just around the corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked you out of the blue, hey, have we ever reviewed Jurassic Park for the show before? And you said, well, no, seeing as how I've never seen it. And I said, what? TJ, explain yourself. Well, you Confess said in, all of your You said sentence. in no uncertain terms that I was required to see the film and we would be reviewing it. And if not, you would be driving up to Tennessee and you would beat me. 
mm-hmm. with your with a velociraptor's stick. claw. Yes, you would take a velociraptor's claw and beat me if I did not see Jurassic Park before the week was over. This is how this went. This is exactly how the conversation went. Uh, y- yes, you you threatened me. It was it was bad. Um, I've threatened you with evolution and everything else <laughs> it entails. So why hasn't TJ seen any Jurassic Park films? Well. My history with movies, as we've I think we've discussed on the show, or at least alluded to, are dismal. It's it's well, it was interesting. Um, when I was younger, my parents uh, didn't have any problems with film and TV, and then they became somewhat more concerned about the effects of media on their children, and they became concerned with those sorts of things at large. And the clamps started to come down, and and around that time is when Jurassic Park came out. And I, though all of my friends saw it, I was not allowed to see it. And it, <clears throat> frankly, it wasn't that big of a deal to me. It was occasionally annoying because my friends would be like, oh, this huge dinosaur, you know, blah, blah. Oh, Jurassic Park. Woo. You know, and, and there'd be like, somebody Wah. who would quote the film or there'd be a funny snarky reference that everybody got and you didn't. And right. Right. So so most of my uh, so let's see, that was in 93. So I would have been 11 when that came out. And then. Uh, for most of my teenage years, that was the same way. Like we just didn't watch a lot of movies and TV, which maybe is why I like them now. And uh, to be fair, my my uh, family watches all kinds of movies now. It, it was kind of a a thing that that passed. Um, so anyway, I have been doing catch up, and this is one of the things that I've never caught up on from my childhood. Mm. Um, and it's kind of weird because there were certain things that I we just always watched, like Star Trek or whatever. Um, right. It, you know, it was an on again, off again kind of a thing with the, with the concern with the media and the influence that it might have on our impressionable young minds. Oh yeah. Having seen this film, though, I'm not sure it was a good idea f- to let any 11 year olds ever see it. I, I don't know, man. That's interesting. Yeah. See, I saw the film. I think I saw the film in theater, and at the time it came out was uh, 1993. I would have been eight years old, and I'm re- I'm really surprised. Like I have. I have memories of seeing this in theater. Mm-hmm. So maybe there was another release years later as some sort of like special, you know, limited release. I know just a few years ago that there was a 3d release of Jurassic yes, Park. That's true. And I think that that's an abomination. Yes, I and, agree. Uh, this film was it, not filmed in stereoscopic uh, film. So even if they want to pull it off, it's just a money grab. Now, as it pertains to the original, I, I would have been eight years old at the time. And I, I, what I do remember, TJ, is that this movie rocked my world. Whenever mm, it was, mm, I did see it. Mm. That I, It was so fantastic. I, I was totally convinced for a little while that there had to be dinosaurs roaming on the earth somewhere. <laughs> well, one of my friends, uh, Clayton was his name. He was a really good friend of mine when I was a kid. And he was certainly huge into the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. And he had all the, the toys and the, you know, the dinosaurs and the things. And he always talked about it a lot. And so I, I to some extent, I was like, eh, I'm kind of missing out. But, you know, we got along fine and we played Nintendo and it was all, all fine. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so, so, so much for media in our minds. Uh, so, but... Um, <laughs> I was uh, – so my my wife says, well, do you want to let our, – our son, I've been letting him watch more things with me. He he watched, uh, for instance, The Flash all season with us. Uh, didn't let him watch Arrow because, oh my goodness. Uh, but but The Flash was, was about his size and his, his style and, and he really liked that. And he's been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with us and he watches a few movies with me and he's getting to the point now where he, he remembers and understands and, and kind of, you know – but but I'm he, my wife was like so you said you want- that the flash was about your son's size well was that the fun size no, no 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 I just meant like it's it's his kind of thing like it was right okay. for him is okay. what I meant and so um she says do you want to let Alan stay up and watch Jurassic uh, Park with you and I looked at the rating uh, for and bedtime? I time really 
Well, it's, that's when we watch movies because that's when okay. I'm, I'm done working yeah. usually or, or I'll take some time. You know, I'm home from work or whatever and the kids, the rest of the kids have gone to bed and he's getting older now. He's eight years old and we let him stay up with us at least usually until nine. The kids' bed thir- the other kids' bedtime is at 830 and so we let him feel privileged that way I suppose. Yeah, a lot of explanation to say. My <laughs> wife said to me you're, – you're drawing this out, Joe. My wife says to me, do you, you want to let him watch Jurassic Park with you? And I looked at the rating and I said, I, I don't know. My parents wouldn't let me watch it as a kid and I feel like I at least want to see it And I'm before I let him watch it. I'm glad I did. I think he would have been scared out of his mind. <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. It was it was yeah. pretty intense. It was – like it, I felt like they, they certainly could have gone over the top and gotten it in our rating pretty easily. Like I feel like they were on the border. There was probably a cut that did. Yes. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Steven Spielberg has already talked about that in a book. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. They yeah. could have easily made it an R-rated film without having to stretch themselves. <laughs> so it was the earliest thriller that I could recall seeing and it just made a huge impression on me for that reason alone. Not to mention the fact that this film has CGI and animatronics and mm-hmm. it was one of the earliest films to – present uh i don't want to say all the time realistic cgi but mostly very authentic believable realistic cgi right alongside of animatronics uh, creating the same animals and not really being able to tell the difference between the two many times in the film did you notice I, i know you could tell when it was done poorly but did you notice when it was done well that it was so well that Frankly, I don't know how they pulled it off. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there were certainly times I'm like, yeah, they're in there. But yes, there was a mix of uh, good and bad in this film. Mostly good, I will say. Um, and and yeah, it was really well done and really well blended. And you can, it's hard to believe that it was done in 1993. There were other films that had successfully used uh, CGI. There was computer animation in, in, in Star Wars, for instance, even. There was um, uh, certainly a lot of CGI in Tron, and that's one of the reasons it doesn't hold up very well. Um, there was a, 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 an entire CGI sequence in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, that is actually somewhat believable. Uh, and, and it's the entire uh, Genesis flyover sequence, and, and it's dated by today's standards, and it doesn't really look like a lush planet because it's barely what they could do. Um, and, you know... Two years later, you've got an entire film animated uh, Toy Story uh, animated in CGI. But this you, this is – you're right. Probably the first big live action film to incorporate CGI as a mm. – as live action. And so, yes, it does deserve credit for that. There were I, I noticed it a couple of times, but it wasn't distracting. And it's not like today. Somebody pointed out recently – that today with with CGI, even when it, they, you know, because we have such confidence in our CGI, they put it right out in front of you and right out in the open and they, you know, they the, they put it and they keep it on the screen and, and it's like, oh my gosh, do you not realize how horrible that is? Stop it. You know, uh, just, just stop. Especially in television. Films, yes. Like, oh yeah. man. Uh, the, the, the whole uh, gorilla thing in, in the flash. Oh my gosh. Um, anyway, so they're not afraid to just stick it out there and we're still in the uncanny valley place and so it's like stop it like this film had the good sense to like here's a little cgi whoop look over here look over here no no don't look at the cgi okay here's a little cgi no 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 look over here look over here and it wasn't like in your face and there were many times in this film jurassic park when they they were camera shy of the dinosaurs and they would really focus intensely on the reactions of the humans in the film. Well, that's so, how you make good drama back in the day. Yeah, and, they, and, did, and they did very well pulling it off. I that would way, argue yeah. that that's still how you make good drama, and we've yes. forgotten that. Yes, right, we have. 
we'd rather show, not tell TJ. And it's better to show with the action rather than with the expression. It would be, it would seem to be. Yes. But speaking of the uncanny Valley, they nearly went into that area with this film because in the old days, TJ, you'll know that monster movies typically had uh, hand animated characters, uh, character, you know, sure. animals and monsters. Sure. So you would look at something really bizarre in the jungle. It'd be some uh, ferocious beast, you know, chasing some people, you know, in the jungle sequence of some random movie. Like let's go all the way back to the reference of King Kong because that would be probably the most uh, memorable, recognizable case of this where, you know, for the most part, any of the fantastic beasts were actually just animated puppets that were um, shot frame by frame. And then, you know, an animator would have to move their bodies around. They actually approached Jurassic Park in, with the intent to use some of those kinds of animations. Right. And Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg was not yet convinced that the CGI could handle the, the greater weight for the entire film. So when the animators pulled it off and showed him, uh, you know, like demos, only then were they convinced, oh, wow, we really can use CGI and some animatronics and do away with all the hand-animated puppets. The animatronics were actually like two-scale uh, heads and shoulders and hand, hands and feet and tails of the dinosaurs that you'd see in part on or slightly off the screen. And that was really good for the up-close shots when you wanted to zoom in on the T-Rex's eye and get a reaction of his, you know, his eye dilation. And they could do that with the animatronic, and it looks so cool. You're convinced because they could do something like eye dilation when a flashlight is shined directly into his eye that it must have been real. It just looks so real. It was like the the puppetry of Jabba the Hutt from Return of the Jedi only so much better with a few years. You know, it, There weren't that many years between the production of Return of the Jedi and Jurassic Park, but the animatronics had come a long way. Sure. So Anytime there was an animatronic, I had no doubts that it looked, for the most part, basically believable and real. The only time I felt like it was a little bit too soft and puppety on camera was with the Brachiosaur. And that was the other time when CGI really failed for me was the great big reveal. You know, for a good chunk of the film, they don't show a live dinosaur at the during the first act. And when they show the first live dinosaurs, they are really... Uh, wondrous shots Mm -hmm. where they introduce the brachiosaurs. Yes. And personally, I think that the CGI work while it tells the story in a phenomenal way and the human interaction with the dinosaurs and that scene in the field in the Jeep is captivating that the brachiosaur does not look real. And it kills me because when they show the brachiosaur, it's clear that his detail is is n- not believable to scale. Yeah. The the shot, you know, that really does it for me. I actually just dropped a link in the show outline, Joe, that I'll also put in the show notes when we post this. Nice. Uh, if you scroll down uh, toward the end of the article, there's a bit, there's the shot where they first reveal the big reveal of Jurassic Park. And you got, you know, the brachiosaurs walking out of the water. That to me is the shot that really doesn't hold up well. It really looks fake. There's something about see. the lighting and the way things are stitched together. It's like, eh, wow. I mean, it doesn't ruin the film by any means, but you know, if you want to critique right. the visual effects, um, right? Yeah, it's in in my case, it's actually the first shot in that same article where they show the brachiosaur eating off of the treetops, 
where his skin detail is you know detailed, but yeah. not enough to yeah. look like it's three. It's no, actually I, there. I know which which shot you're talking about. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. We should actually get into some analysis of the film, though, Joe, of, of sure, actually sure, sure. the story and kind of our feelings about it, not just the technical aspect, which is important and and. Understandably, yeah. we're interested yeah, yeah. in it, but okay. Uh, uh, can we talk about a little bit more of our observations? So, in in review, not so much just you know. You sure. Know, no, that, I I I have a, a general okay. flow that I like to do my outlines, my personal okay. outlines with, which is general, then likes, and then dislikes. And I know okay. that, that I know that we end up you know ending on Edging. our dislikes, but that's just kind of the way that I like to flow. So, general impressions for me. Uh, my first thought was, man, I wish I could have seen this on the big screen. I wish I could see this in a theater for real. Because, you know, I have a 32-inch, I think, TV and, you know, stereo speakers. I don't have surround sound. And it's, it's like, well, I wish I could have seen this on the big screen. But I did rent it from Amazon in HD, and it was fine. But it is the type of film that I would think I might like better if I had seen it on the big screen. Because that's the type you know, of film it is. Sooner or later, you'll be, you'll be able to take your Blu-ray over to the local theater and say, can you pop <laughs> this in for me? They all have those digital projectors these days. And, you know, nobody's actually watching those movies all the time around the clock in all their theater rooms. So why not? Yeah. And then my, my other general observations are that uh, it has a very almost like Star Trekian message, very prime directive like, you know, with the whole Jeff Goldblum, you know, we were so focused on that we could. We never stopped to think if we should, you know, this whole thing. <laughs> should we be interfering with nature? And it just had that very Star Trekian kind of message. I knew you would catch on that. Yeah, yeah. I thought you might uh, like that. And uh, then the, the final general observation is that this this film kind of seems like it marks a midpoint for Spielberg in his career, which it does. But like, you know, in his early career, he had a lot of fun. He had these energetic action films and he had, uh, you know, Indiana Jones and just a lot of lot of fun. And it's not that some of his later films like Minority Report and stuff aren't fun, but they tend to turn a little bit more serious. Right. And this yeah. film it is fun. And it's you know, you can tell he had a lot of fun making it, but he starts to get into these character moments uh, where, you know, he's got this development of, uh, Sam Neill. What was that character's name? Um, where he's, de- he's learning that he loves children. He's learning how to love and Dr. be with Alan Grant. Yeah. Alan Grant. He's learning, uh, how to be with children. You know, in the beginning of the film, he's like, he doesn't know how to react with children and he becomes a hero to them. And so you, you're starting to see a little bit more of the later Spielberg already here. I think I couldn't agree more. And, uh, another observation I have goes back to the novels that this was actually based on a novel. And what I've yeah. noticed from people who, who evaluated the two, I haven't read the novel. All I can tell you is what I have secondhand. And I've heard this from a variety of people that the novel is in its own right, just as good as the, as the movie. I know that some people debate whether or not the one is better than, than the other, but most people treat them as different beasts mm-hmm. because the film was trying to tell you an adventurous uh, thriller right. and, and and so was the novel, but in a different way, it had a different tone to it. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the huge differences though, with the novel was that there was a heck of a lot more dialogue and scientific sci-fi mumbo jumbo that the movie didn't have. So for instance, when the group of people get back into the museum or I should say, you know, like the starting point of the of the Jurassic Park, where they have the the dine the restaurant and the gift shop mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. uh, the laboratories. Right. There's a point near the end of Act Two, or you could say the beginning of Act Three, where the group huddles together again for a brief moment back there inside the headquarters. Uh, in the novel, there was about like a hundred pages where they were just talking amongst themselves oh about yeah, where they were just talking. Before the final showdown with the dinosaurs. And in the movie, 
(laughs) There's a few hours that go by, but nothing to like that extent. Another thing is that the the dinosaurs, if you step back and think about the movie and evaluate it, uh, you'll notice that going into the film, you think you're just going to be presented with dinosaurs as they would be. And I think that in truth, if you actually stop to think about it and you look at animals around us in the real world today, even the wild ones, the, the most wild of wild animals, that typically the ferocious ones are, can still be largely tame most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean friendly to humans or domesticated, but I mean like, you know, lions are lazy animals. The only reason they attack and eat is because they're really hungry. Right. And even when they're really hungry, they can often be so lazy that they don't do anything about it for a while. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, they don't depict any of the ferocious, you know, uh, the 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 um, flesh-eating dinosaurs as anything like that. They're only depicted as – you know, exclusively violent beasts that are looking to create uh, mayhem and maim everything that moves in sight. And they're, they're so proud. You know, the velociraptors are even perhaps proud in how they are going to take down their prey, mm-hmm. you know, to this great extent that it's, it has more to do with the hunt than it has to do with the, uh, the prize. And what that tells me is that, you know, true true to the form of the concept of, the, of this film, it's actually more of a monster movie than it is a dinosaur movie. When it gets to the scenes involving chases and violence and thriller suspense and, you know, chaos theory moments, it has more to do with uh, dinosaurs playing the part of monsters than, uh, than dinosaurs playing the part of dinosaurs. Yeah. Well, I actually just Googled Velociraptor, and this first headline is the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park are in movies are nothing like their real-life counterparts. <laughs> and there's actually – I mean I don't want to ruin everything about dinosaurs for people that think that the dinosaurs in these films are like picture-perfect, exactly what they would love them to be. But uh, a lot of research even suggests that the T-Rex is actually a vegetarian uh, pretty mm. tame, mm. and uh, for that reason, it kind of deflates his uh, his reputation. And most people want to uh, turn a blind eye to that fact. But you know, if you're going to be honest with yourself and and the research, then kind of accept that uh, the T Rex would be the Brachiosaurus playmate. I mean, if anything, they would be more likely to get along than to eat each other or maim each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, you want to talk about some general uh, likes yes. about this film? Yes, yes. Um, but I I've, want to hear yours first. I finally yours are newer, fresher. Uh, yeah, I finally got to see the classic. Mine are prehistoric. <sighs> yes, I finally got to see the classic scene where objects in mirror are closer than they appear. It was great. <laughs> I loved it. I uh, know. Th- I mean, this this film's action sequences are definitely to be envied. I think they set a standard that we uh, could do very good to live up to even today. Um, this, you know, there's some great, uh, Spielberg moments in this film with the reveals and the, just some of the way that some of the things are shot. I mean, I, I think early on, I said to my wife, this is very (laughs) Spielberg-y, you know, in the way it's shot. And, uh, you know, just, I I don't know. It's hard to explain what makes something Spielberg-y. Maybe you can do better than I can, but there's just a a certain way that the cameras (laughs) reveal things and a certain framing of the people. And it was very Spielberg-y and I loved it. I think he was being very genuine about this story that he genuine. I mean, like it came through the story that he loved telling the story. And so he took a great amount of appreciation in looking into the details. Mm-hmm. So um, for instance, 
some details that I was highlighting here, like uh, the laboratory where they were cloning the dinosaurs. You know, nowadays, if you find a good laboratory in a television show, it looks just as good as the dinosaur laboratory in Jurassic Park. And I think that the laboratories in Jurassic Park were actually good models for their time of what a scientific laboratory environment workplace ought to be. Uh, even where you see the computers on Dr- in Jurassic Park in, in their computer labs mm-hmm. where they are controlling security and what have you, the power supply and things like that, they they just had so much um, immense detail to support the narrative. There's garbage all over uh, Nedry's desk. Yes, so yes. It, it says a lot about his character. But then the other guy is smoking a cigarette like all the time and he does not drop it out of his lips. <laughs> and – there's these little touches like that in the laboratory as well, where it just fleshes it out with a great sense of detail. Then there's the water, the trembling water. When the T-Rex is stomping, the tr- the water trembles, and they zoom in on that. And that was that, very. That's uh, what I'm talking about when I say Spielberg. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also just a moment where he seemed to like really hone in on something. He loved to show you a detail that I think many a, another filmmaker would have glossed over. And then you have um, the uh, let's see here the the park gift shop like they didn't have to do that they didn't have to show that but at a certain point when there's sort of not a lull but a a moment of peace to calm and regroup in, in near the end of Act Two the the camera pans through the Jurassic Park gift shop and shows you all of the the uh, the gifts you can buy. And it's funny to look at them. They look exactly like what you would expect in a real museum's gift shop, only maybe a little bit better because they looked like the kind of thing I'd actually like to have. Well, I mean, no expense and, uh, was spared, Joe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, there, and then there, another, yeah. There was definitely a sense of wonder and excitement about the film and the filmmaking. And, and you could tell that, that uh, Spielberg had a lot of fun with this film and that he did pay attention to those details, like you say. Another one of those great examples is the Barbasol can. Yes. Using the Barbasol can as the cover for the embryos. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah. This film, um, it had it had fantastic action sequences and it had great effects. Like, even now, I look at some modern movies and I say the CGI is so terrible. And then I look at a 93 movie made with young CGI and a lot of animatronics and a lot of puppets and... And I say, why can't we do this today? I mean, for the most part, for the <laughs> yeah. most part, it all worked and worked really well and completely sold me on the fact that a dinosaur was crushing a car with people in it. And, you know, some films today fail to do that. And I, you know what I think it is, Joe? Honestly, I think there's a sense in which modern CGI films go overboard. And so that our minds immediately switch into this not real, can't be real, doesn't happen gear where this is, yes, it's over the top. And, it, and obviously dinosaurs don't exist today, but – it's not like so over the top that your mind can't believe it. Like it, it's 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 fitting into a a point in your brain that modern movies, even again, as much as I love the Marvel movies, they just have a fake quality and feel to a lot of the action that this film manages to hit right in that spot where your brain believes it. Yeah. A great example of that is the whole attack on the vehicles in the rain from the T-Rex. Yes. When things really go from really bad to incredibly horrible and uh, people start dying, uh, you know, the the parks, um, you know, just uh, facades are being crushed Mm -hmm. by the Mm T-Rex 
And that's actually, I, I would say for the most part, believable. And then the way they, they said that the T-Rex is uh, got not visually impaired, but he's just not very good at seeing details. So he p- picks up more in motion. And then circumstantially, the little girl starts using – well, not little, little girl, but girl starts to use a flashlight to try, to try and signal and get help. And you understand why she would do that, but it was such a horrible idea at the wrong moment. Yes. And so yes. it attracts the T-Rex and makes everything so much worse for her. And crushing the vehicle, seeing it bashed and knocked over the and careening into the tree, all of that just worked. It was such a great sequence. It was terrifying, but it was terrifying not because it was like, ooh, who's going to die next? It was more like, well, this is so stirring because it's so horrible. But at the same time, it feels exactly like what you could expect to see if things were completely uh, chaotic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. What else you got, Joe? I me. have um, th- I have that the – this is really subtle but it has to do with the storytelling quality of it. I really enjoy how it ebbs and flows. That the way in which the story flows feels like it's unfolding a dramatic theme park ride. And I think that probably some motion picture studio theme park rides are in, loosely inspired by the, the thrill of movies like this. Where it, it gives you a sense of wonder at the beginning. The characters are all mesmerized by some new lease on life, some great sense of promise and hope. But then some dark, twisted thing happens that suggests that sin has entered the world and everything is going awry. And then if you're going to survive, you got to overcome the adversity. Somebody has to be willing to make sacrifices mm-hmm. and look out for the weaker vessels. And then when it's all said and done, you come out on the other side wiser and closer to each other. Well, you're going really analytical with this. Well, it happens in this movie. <laughs> and it, it was done almost poetically, mm-hmm. like a little bit, a little bit, you know, uh, cliche at times, but always charming the way it was delivered. Like the doctor, he his his problem with children. It's a little bit it's a little bit overwrought. Overplayed, yes. But it is also very charming. So that there's that knowing glance between husband and wife while they're watching the movie, like egging each other on, like, yeah, I know, you're the one that's not really into kids. Yeah. Well, I, I have an unfortunate truth to reveal to you, Joe. Yeah, you weren't pretty you weren't into that particular characteristic, huh? Well, no, it's not that. I uh I actually enjoyed the play of the or the interplay and the the the, the character development there where he began to learn how to deal with the children. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying I don't have anything else that I liked about this film to share. Okay. So it's all you until we get to the dislikes. I only have one left to really describe. I, I think that everybody knows the the qualities of this film. Only TJ had not seen this film. Everybody else has. So mm. The, now everything is complete. Um, we can die now. The the only other thing not. I wanted to note that uh, that was uh, really truly extraordinary about this movie is John Williams' soundtrack. Mm. He's made movies by his soundtrack, and this is one of those that I think is pulled off because of his soundtrack. Sometimes it was just enthralling. Uh, again, I am using that kind of terminology in hyperbole a lot with this. Uh, with this particular film, but I feel like it's warranted. The soundtrack is glorious. <laughs> and when you hear it on its own, it stands on its own really well. Uh, the, the best of tracks, uh, the, the main theme and any moment in the, in the soundtrack when it re- revisits the main theme is just, 
so, so, so captivating. I, I highly recommend that even if you're not into soundtracks, that you give it a listen because it's a great one in John Williams' career. Um, well, while we're here, I mean, I, I wasn't even going to mention this because it's not really a dislike. It's it's not really a like. It's just a thing. Um, okay. I but since we're talking about it, I found the soundtrack fine. Um, like most John Williams stuff, I felt like it got a little too bomb- bombastic in places where it shouldn't have. There yes. was one point I completely agree. Yeah, and, and yet is that on the its is that own, point where the helicopter well. is coming yes. into Jurassic Park? It's like we, yes. we don't even know what's going on yet. Why is it so bombastic? Well, it wasn't that when it was approaching the park is much as when it was landing yes. and Hammond was getting out of the helicopter and he was talking and over top of Hammond, you have the bombastic forte music and it was kind of hard to hear him. Yes. It's like Williams was so excited about what was to come later. He just couldn't help it. Um, but I, I tend to find that he does that in general. Like he gets big and bombastic in places where he shouldn't. And it frustrates me because he's hailed as such a great composer. And in some ways he is, don't get me wrong. He writes very memorable themes. Like I knew the Jurassic Park theme, even though I'd never seen Jurassic Park, I recognized it and it was a thing like, but he writes very memorable themes, but I feel like he fails to capture the moments all properly during the film. And I felt that a little bit with this film. It, it didn't take me out of film. I've certainly seen, I've certainly seen films where it was worse with him. Um, but it, it was fine. And, and, and please don't, I, I know people are already writing me angry emails. I, I like some of John Williams stuff. I like a lot of John Williams stuff. The Imperial March may be the best thing that he's ever given us. Well, maybe that and the Superman main theme. He does good work. Don't get me wrong. I just, he, sometimes he just really, really fails to capture moments properly in the film. Mm. So that Have was you ever heard take. his music for the Olympics? I haven't. Oh, good stuff. Okay. Check it out. I'm not kidding. Well, and, and here's the thing. Like sometimes he turns in fan, such fantastic work. You're like, was that John Williams? I mean, like think of, <laughs> think of his score of Harry Potter and the, uh, the prisoner of Azkaban. Like it was so different from the first two Harry Potter films. And it was, it was almost not John Williamsy, And yet it kind of was think of his work on Lincoln. Well, that was, ne- I, I would never have guessed in a million years that that was a John Williams score. So sometimes mm. he, and, and it was fantastic. Sometimes he turns in this great work, but most of the time I feel like he's overrated. That's all I'm saying. Mm. I know we've talked about this on the film on the podcast before, and I know Dan Benjamin was like aghast that I that I held this view of John Williams. <laughs> and I understand uh, why I'm more in Dan Benjamin's mindset. I agree <laughs> with you that the music can be bombastic, but I never felt like it failed us. Uh, just because something gets uh, loud and and prolongedly loud, mm. loud, I don't feel like it's a uh, it, it's a demerit. But I do agree. This leads into my first dislike. You want know, a segue? Yes, let's do it. Okay, so one of my real disappointments is how many times in this film it seems like the dialogue is not meant to be heard. Mm. That something is being said, a conversation is ensuing, someone is rattling off some lines really quickly, and they say them very, you know, the performance is good, but in the delivery and in the way in which they caught the audio and then in the way in which they they sweetened the audio for delivery in the move uh, the uh, for the watching experience it's like they didn't really care if you could tell what they were saying uh, m- in many instances so sometimes it's very distinct you can pick up on some lines uh the best example is when uh, the doctor is describing to the kid how the velociraptors would hunt him down and kill him with their claws mm-hmm. that was the the example of the film where you could hear and understand everything that was being stated oh so clearly. 
but then conversations in the helicopter, not as well. Yes. Conversations in the vehicles, not as well. Do you remember the conversation by the Velociraptor pen where there was like two conversations going on at once and you couldn't tell which one you were trying to hear? It was really – yeah, that was very frustrating. And for that kind of reason, it's difficult to, uh, to appreciate and to weigh the differences, the, the conflict between the soundtrack and the dialogue, mm-hmm. that sometimes the soundtrack is outweighing the dialogue. But it also seems like Spielberg somewhat intentionally downplayed the dialogue. And I don't know why that is. I, I like to hear things. I like to know what's being said. Sure. It's not imperative. I know many examples where films – made the point to practically say nothing, you know, because that was more artistic and good for them. But I don't feel like this was appropriate for this story, for this film. I would have much rather had uh, amplified uh, benefits and, and depth to the story by hearing what the characters had to say. So you're saying you're not on the interstellar train. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Yeah, this this movie obviously didn't have the problems Interstellar had sound wise, but it yeah it definitely had some of those things. I definitely noticed those. Those, those were definitely frustrating and on my list here of the things that I was like, what is going on here? I'll tell you though, Joe, that the biggest thing for me, honestly, as a computer nerd, uh, l- l- let me and, and and I know that a lot of the stuff made in the eighties and nineties even was just they did I don't know like filmmakers had this idea of what computers should be like, and it was just like and I know that happens now today, but it doesn't feel as bad as this. My reaction to the computer stuff in this movie, let me summarize. It was like, what? <laughs> I mean, like, okay, we can't, we've never shut down the whole system before. We don't know what will happen. Um, wait a minute. You've never had a power failure before? I mean, come on, really? <laughs> uh, why, 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 why were the super high stakes security velociraptor fences, electric fences that keep these dangerous predators in tied to flaky computer systems? Why? What in the world? This is retarded. Nobody does that. It's, these things should be hardwired <laughs> and they should be on backup generators. I mean, come on. What is what is I don't understand like how do you get computers that wrong? I get I mean I know that computer stuff is weird in movies all the time but this was just weird. How about the scene where the the girl the, the velociraptor is trying to get in the room and they're trying to lock the door but the door locks the physical lock bolt is powered by the computer and it can't be used unless the computer is booted up and she's trying to boot up the computer and she's like Unix I know this. And then it's a computer of a screen flying over the different sections of the park and she's zooming in on different things. This is not Unix. This is not Unix. This is a, some sort of weird park graphical interface. It's just bizarre. Uh, sorry, I'll get off my high horse now. But goodness, this, <laughs> the computer stuff in this film was appalling. Appall- shockingly bad. <laughs> but don't you think that that's what they looked like back in 1993? No, I think it was much worse than you could expect from a film in 1993. It was terrible. I don't, huh. I don't get it. How do you get it that wrong? It, wouldn't I, have, it, it didn't have to be that way, and it still could have been a good movie. I, I haven't noticed the 90s computers looking any worse than anything else. Uh, no, no, I'm, say, I'm saying like, that this I, movie I got it worse than most 90s movies or even 80s movies. I think Tron's huh. computer stuff is better than this. Okay. And th- granted, this is, <laughs> the computers are not the focus of the movie, but it just – it really, really just took me out of the movie. 
What do you mean you can't operate a deadbolt without a Unix computer? What? No, it doesn't make any sense. There could have been other ways to have dramatic tension. Can I dwell here a little longer or do you want to move on? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> you're, you're enjoying yourself. I am. I really am. I'm how, I, I don't understand. Don't understand. Ah, what's, what's, what's something else you got, Joe? We need to move off of this before I just, everybody turns it off or turns the podcast off. <laughs> okay. Uh, speaking of C- uh, computer related work, I want to go back to the scene with the Brachiosaurus. I, I was, I was disappointed by the CGI there. And I only got to bring this dislike up again once more because I have to note that most people don't seem to notice this problem. When it was lauded back in the 90s, when the film was new, when you watch making of film pretending to the to Jurassic Park and when you read articles that, that talk about the glories of the CGI in this film, it seems like they all reference that particular scene where they introduced the brachiosaur eating from the treetops and – I'm sorry. It, it was good. It was fantastic that they had the guts to reveal the dinosaurs on screen in that particular way. And as a child, I thought it was completely convincing. But by today's standards, I, I just – nothing really about that brachiosaur looked right in the details. Like you look at his skin, there there is wrinkles and folds. There's good lighting. There's uh, skin coloration elements that you would expect about a reptile. But – no, I, I really can't live with it. And it, it annoys me because I love that scene so much that I, uh, please forgive me. All the cinema gods out there, forgive me. You were forgiven. But if Joe. a, if a Lucasfilm studio, special effects studio wanted to go back and fix the Brachiosaurus, I, I would not mind for a, a modern release of the film. Mm. Don't mess with anything else. Just update the Brachiosaurus so I'm convinced that they're on par with the T-Rexes. Hmm. Um, I didn't notice anything particularly about the Brachiosaurus that are – I don't know. I, I, just, I just don't have the complaints that you have with them. Okay. Okay. And, and like you said, you know, uh, well, you got glasses and you were watching it on a 32-inch screen TV. I, I don't th- I don't want to blame it all on that, but – It could be. I mean I, I see better than you with my glasses. I have uh, okay. 2010 with my glasses, so um, – uh, but, um, yeah, the screen is somewhat smaller probably than yours. I've seen at least the TV you had when I visited, uh, it was bigger than mine. So that it could be, it could just be that I had the small TV and I just didn't notice some of the things I thought they were fine. Okay. And my last complaint is just that uh, I'm not crazy about some of the reasoning that they were trying to shovel off in this film. <laughs> You're not buying what they're selling, are you? No, uh, in particular, the reasoning that we cannot possibly handle dinosaurs because that we are separated by millions of years of natural selection just sounds like clever mumbo, mumbo jumbo that, that doesn't add up. Well, it was very Star Trekian. That's, I mean, I love Star Trek, but some of it doesn't add up. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, they're animals, right? And, you know, we have a lot of modern technology. All the technology fails them in this movie. And and guns fail them. Their wits fail them. I understand that. I understand that a lot of those bad things can happen. But at the end of the day, the dinosaurs wouldn't honestly stand a chance. Mm, but, yeah. but, the, but the film – but the film uh, stops at a good point where it's just enough that you've worn out the ideas and you're really not tempted to think too long and hard about the the intricacies of believability anymore yeah. when the movie ends. And that's where I feel like the sequels really ruin it 
the, the very next sequel goes into the far-fetched land where, uh, you know, humans are just pathetic compared to the dinosaurs. And the, I didn't feel like the humans were pathetic in relation to the dinosaurs in this film. Mm. It was just that they, they went into it very unprepared and they had thought that they had thought of everything, but it turned out that they had not thought about this particular scenario. They had not thought about uh, sabotage and they had not anticipated a thunderstorm. They did not anticipate that the children would make mistakes when the T-Rex would attack their vehicles. Well, I had, I have two thoughts, um, and and one of them I just have to get out there before I forget it, which is, how <laughs> you're absolutely right. They didn't anticipate it. Like no expense was spared. What? <laughs> how do you, how do you how do you get in the situation they found themselves in? So that that was my first thought to what you're saying. My second thought is, okay, so we've we've gone through this whole thing. We've decided that Jurassic Park is not a good idea. So this really makes me question the whole idea of what's going on in the trailer for Jurassic World. Like there's a theme park with dinosaurs, but yes. we've already been there and decided that was a bad idea. What is going on? This makes me not want to see any of the sequels, including Jurassic World, because I, I feel like Jurassic the idea is tied out. Teaches you that uh, you know history repeats itself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I, I don't know. So, like what? Well, I, I guess I'll have to watch the sequel. I, I, I I suppose that this this uh, Jurassic World is a direct sequel to the third Jurassic Park film, which is the last one. Is that true? Yeah. Do you know? I don't know. I suppose I'll have to see the other. I've heard two. I've heard different stories. I've heard that it's actually a direct sequel to the first sequel. It's a direct sequel to the first film, and I've heard it's also just a sequel at the end of all the other sequels. But it seems like having now seen this film, that the trailer for Jurassic World is basically rehashing the ideas of the first film. It's like. Like like Chris Pratt is basically the Jeff Goldblum character where he's like <clears> – at <throat> least in, in ideals, he's like, why are we doing this? Humans shouldn't be messing with the – you know what I'm saying? Like, Well, that's the beginning. Yeah. See, that's that's where he agrees with the, the Malcolm character at the beginning of the film. But then Chris Pratt's character seems to be thrown into a insurmountable problem where they've cre- created a hybrid dinosaur – that is far too intelligent for the people to get off of the island. Velociraptor. So what what Pratt does is he starts recruiting velociraptors because the enemy of your enemy is your friend, TJ. Mm, And somehow the velociraptors are smart enough to know that they would need to band together with Pratt in order to fight the hybrid, which is uh, worse than they are. And that is going to be really hard to swallow. That's, that's a tough sell. <laughs> it is not going to work. I, I don't have a lot of hope for Jurassic World. Having now seen Jurassic Park and reevaluating the mm. Jurassic World trailer, I don't have a lot of hope for that movie. <laughs> I want to get back to my dislikes of this movie, okay. though. Um, okay. Spliced frog DNA. Really? <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people have debated this Really? One. Come on. I, I didn't need I, to know. I Look, it because it's it's in just enough to get me by, I, so that we can see dinosaurs. I didn't need the sciencey stuff. Like, like, really? Make it short. Like, the scientists are there to evaluate, but like, stop going so far. Like, I didn't need to know that we found this strand of DNA and it wasn't complete, and so we fixed it with frog DNA. Like, this this kind of ruined it for me. Just just say that you found some DNA in a mosquito and you cloned some dinosaurs. That's fine. I w- I would have bought that. <laughs> I didn't need this whole frog DNA thing. It was just. I, I think dumb. that enough of the audience would have been uh, reacted just the other way around. They would have been like, you found enough DNA in a mosquito. What? Come on. That's no, that's not Mm -hmm. believable. Uh, You just ruined the movie for me. I think a lot of people would have responded that way. If that had 
been the turn of the events. Mm, I don't know. The sciencey stuff just graded on. Well, me. that's the thing though. Is like obviously their sciencey stuff explanation for how they arrive at dinosaurs and eggs is not going to work because it's all it's all fair fantasy. It's yeah, I know that's what sci-fi I know, actually is. I know, I know, and I I know I'm a hypocrite because I love Star Trek, even though some of the tre- Trekno babble. In my defense, some of the Trekno babble does grade on me. It's like, come on, guys, we don't need to know this. Just tell a story. <laughs> um, so yeah, but you're right. That that's a concern that a lot of people have had. Uh, yeah, it's frustrating. Um, this whole idea, the whole way the tour was constructed, which we never, I mean, we, we saw like not much of the tour, but what, because like things just went bad south, but, but like what we saw of it was so ill conceived, like, and, and, and then you juxtapose it with, with Richard Attenborough. I'm sorry. I keep forgetting these characters names. Um, he keeps saying, um, no expense was spared. John Hammond. He kept saying no expense was spared. And then you see the poor, 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 very poorly thought out tour and you're like no expense was spared seriously i mean come on like the the whole tour is just so poorly conceived and i know we wouldn't have a movie without it but just come on it was stretched believability that it was that incompetent that they could come that far but really be that incompetent i i just didn't understand how that could be (laughs) nothing about that tour made any sense (laughs) nothing Hmm. um I have a question for you, okay. uh, but I'll save it for the end of your dislikes. Okay, well, you better write it down. <laughs> um, <laughs> if events seemed extremely predictable. They seemed to unfold in an extremely predictable manner. I predicted when uh, the tour – about the second stop of the tour, I thought the tour is going to get stuck. They're going to get out of the car because obviously who would think to put locks on a tour car? Who would think of that? Nobody, apparently. So I knew they were going to get out of the car. I knew that things were going to go south. I knew that dinosaurs were going to get out. I knew that they were going to – that somebody was going to die. I knew they were going to be running from the dinosaurs, and I knew that that they were going to hunt the dinosaurs. And I knew from the second they introduced the velociraptors that they were going to get out of that pen and that they were going to be a problem. Like everything seems so predictable. Could you not have gone down a different path somewhere and surprised me? Nothing in this movie surprised me. I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't mind stories that um, have elements of like I, I, the hero's journey. It's classic and I love it. But not every little thing has to be this thing. Like I and and I'm really bad at predicting movies, Joe. Like I oftentimes completely miss, even though it's yeah. been telegraphed. I completely miss where something's going because I I'm enthralled <laughs> in the movie or whatever. And this movie was like, next they're gonna do this, and <clears throat> next they're gonna do this, and next they're gonna do this. It was all predictable. And I remember I've never seen it. I've never I don't know anything about it. It was just frustratingly predictable. And I, maybe it's just me being cynical. I've watched too many movies now, and I'm this is this is critic TJ. You know, I don't know. I I just found it to be frustrating. Well, it's true that the film also uses many of the I don't want to say uh, tropes. What does it use? Um, tropes, not cliche, cliche yeah. tropes. I don't know. Yeah, it was just very predictable. Very predictable. Um, I felt like. Only one character had any kind of arc at all that I cared about, and that's what I really like about movies, Joe, is when characters have character arcs. And there was only one character in this film that had a character arc, and that was <laughs> Alan Grant as Sam Neill. Fantastic, wonderful work. And I'm not saying that Richard Attenborough is not a great actor. He just did not have an arc. Like, he was just – he was mad scientist, mad scientist, mad scientist. Oh, you're right. We should leave the island. Bye. Uh, he wasn't a scientist. <sighs> he was a Whatever. philanthropic businessman. Whatever opti- he was. A true optimist. 
that was broken in spirit. Mad optimist then. He was crazy. He was nuts. And that was his job. He like, was a little bit. He yeah. had no he had no arc. And then all <laughs> of a sudden he's like, you're right. We should leave the island behind. It's no good. We're out of here. Bye. And it's just like, no, I mean, nobody, nobody except for Alan Grant had a character arc. And I like Alan Grant's character arc. I just wish that some of the others had had some kind of character arc. Like Jeff, that was also more common among older films. I mean, not in the, not just the 90s, but the farther you go back in filmmaking, there are fewer and fewer characters in any given film that have an arc. Mm, e- but we're talking about the 90s characters. here. We're, we're into, there's some solid films in the 80s yeah. and 90s. I mean, it, yeah, yeah, there were. But even then, something like all the characters must have relatively decent arc was still – you know something that was just being explored mm, i suppose but i mean i can think of older films even than that that had good character arcs so i don't mm-hmm, i don't know joe mm-hmm. i just uh boy i mean well nowadays you have to have a character arc for the leading lady and the children and the scientist and the bad guy and so much more you can go and, overboard and at, no at that time though they, they just didn't go that very far so while we're here jeff goldblum Yikes! What a terrible character. I mean, okay, like Cla- clarify. He had no arc at all, and he was a jerk. And he's hitting on the guy's uh, fiance, wife, girlfriend, whatever she is, and and he's making weird remarks. Like, and he has no. Do you think that they? He has no personality to... that's identifiable. Like, he's just there. I don't know. I just so didn't... did they put the, the did they put the lawyer in to make him look good, or did they put uh, Malcolm in so that? Uh, you would assume Malcolm would be the one eaten by a dinosaur and the lawyer would survive. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> to kind of like throw you off. I was right. so happy when the lawyer was eaten by the dinosaur, though. I like I was like clapping and cheering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Falling car. Again, yikes. What in the really? world? Like, so this car falls and gets stuck in the branches. Like, we're talking about a... How much does a car weigh? I don't know. How yeah, two tons, a little bit. How more. much does a nineteen ninety three Ford Explorer weigh? You're googling. Yeah, that? I mean this thing. It weighs four thousand sixty pounds on its base model. That's how much this car weighs. And you're telling me it got stuck by a few branches and then they're keeping ahead of it as it begins to fall through the branches. <laughs> they're directly underneath it. It's falling through the branches, but not very fast. It's only 4,060 pounds. No big deal. And they're like, no, that thing would have crushed them. If they, they should have. No, no, it didn't work. It didn't work at really? all. Didn't work at all. As much as I love some of the other action sequences in this film, this <clears throat> sequence was like, what the heck, man? <laughs> what is this? Okay. Uh, okay. Um, I just have a couple more points. I was Go exaggerating the length of my of my dislikes. But there's, there's nothing you can say that can mess up my appreciation <laughs> for this film. What, what was the deal with a stolen DNA that went missing and got covered with the mud? Like, was there was something supposed to happen with that? Because they like they Spielberg cuts to it. <laughs> he cuts to it like it's this big thing. Like, ooh, it's been lost and something's going to happen with it. And then they we never hear about it again. It could be interpreted of- two different ways. It could have been that they wanted to use that for perhaps a sequel. Maybe. Not at all. It could have just been misleading. And another thing would be – or at least ways that if they would use it in a sequel, <clears throat> they had the option to use it in a sequel or they could, t- they could take it or leave it. Then there's the other idea that they just wanted you to know where the embryos wound up and that that was a loss to Hammond's business. Mm. That this loser winds up losing something that was worth a lot of money and in, in such a, a silly fashion. And it kind of goes back to the hearkening of the theme of the chaos theory that 
you know, you went to all this trouble to, to create these embryos. They are truly one of a kind and they just get washed into the mud to what? Well, if you think about it, what's going to happen to that Barbasol can, it's going to fossilize TJ. Mm. So it's going to, history is going to repeat itself in a, a few million years or 70 Duh, million years. No. Donna, Donna, <laughs> okay. I don't know what this has to do with Jaws. Uh, on, on the same token, uh, what was the deal with the hatched eggs? Like, I get it that in one way it was explaining something. Like, it was like because they talked about, well, it's going to happen. They're going to figure out how to breed. Like, nature, life wants to create life, whatever. But like, they showed it in this way. He showed it. Spielberg showed it in this way. Like, ooh, the eggs have hatched. It means something. Something's going to happen. And nothing ever. Like, we saw it and it happened, and then nothing ever <laughs> came of it. Yeah, it's funny. You should point that out. I think that they they paid off on that particular setup in one of the sequels. But but if you set something up like that, I I don't know. I just felt like it was supposed to pay off in this movie, and it never did. I I don't know. I don't know. I just I, I'm grumpy old TJ tonight. <sighs> okay. Uh, all things said, I, I just what 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 was the point of this whole film? I I don't know, Joe. I don't know really? that I really what? got the point of this film. I feel oh, like I was on. the wrong audience for this film. What? DJ. I'm sorry. Really? I know this is hurting your heart and I have no soul. No. I have no soul. I, oh, I know at this point I'm over you, but no, <laughs> I just, I, I'm thinking like, are you serious? Yes. I'm dead serious, Joe. <clears throat> so you don't feel like a, it's timeless or, you know, not at all. Not, really. not okay, a bit. You, you wouldn't classify it as among Steven Spielberg's masterpieces. No, no. I can think of far better films that Steven Spielberg has made that I like much better. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm not going to say you're wrong. <laughs> it's understandable. I'm sorry. Not I didn't the answer that I was expecting. I, I, I didn't expect to have this reaction to Jurassic Park. I, I wanted to like it and, and I, I'm, I'm overstating my case. I enjoyed it well enough. And if somebody wanted to put on some popcorn and watch Jurassic Park, I'd, I'd watch it with them. I didn't hate it. I just, there's just enough stuff. And it. it's like, what come on <laughs> come on i don't know <sighs> sorry I, i'm actually in a little bit of disbelief like <laughs> I, i'm not bothered but i am in some disbelief hey, you seem bothered joe I, i'm humor tj you, you've <laughs> you've lightened the mood for the night okay good good i'm glad i could bring some humor into your life and to lighten your your uh your super serious sensibilities take yourself <laughs> too seriously working. yeah i, I kind of do Hey, well, I'm ready to describe our summations. What do you yeah, think? I think we should summarize. <clears throat> Go ahead. I I really like this Jurassic Park film. I, I'm, I, you know, we're, it, it, the franchise is old enough that we're no longer thinking about what they could have done, where it should have gone, if the books had better material. We're not asking ourselves, why didn't Spielberg direct the sequels? Uh, they are what they are. But we'll always have the first film. We'll always have the first film. It has its flaws. It's not as it's not on par with Spielberg's most fantastic masterpieces. Mm. But Jurassic Park is greater than the sum of its parts. It somehow excels, even though it's a monster flick. They they happen to be incredibly lucky at the time that they were able to use CGI very effectively. We got a, a very fun soundtrack from john williams and I, I don't even really know how they pulled off some of the some of the action sequences like 
the, the car falling through the tree is just magical as magical as seeing Peter Pan flies. I mean, like I know in the case of Peter Pan flying there, there's strings attached, but in the case of the car falling through the tree, it's, it's just enough movie magic that I actually don't really know how they pulled that off. So it, it's really absorbing for me to see that kind of thing. Now you're right. The tree probably couldn't hold up that, you know, ridiculously heavy car. <laughs> but again, I saw this when I was a very impressionable child. So everything about this movie felt so real and it's pretty cool that you could do that with dinosaurs. You know, I've always felt like, you know, I being a geek, I felt like, you know, the world's a little bit robbed of not having dinosaurs around. I know it's silly to say that, but (laughs) if there were a Jurassic park, like in the real world and people were debating its merits and there was question about your safety, I just screw it. I'm going to be on the first boat there. Leave me on the island. I'm going to see it. I'm going to see dinosaurs um, because they were are some of the most interesting creatures ever known to Earth. So uh, count me as a, as a true fan of this film, and that is why I give it 4.5 stars out of five. I have watched it every time I've watched it. I've loved it, and it hasn't worn out yet. Okay. I, you know, despite my complaints, I did enjoy this film. There was a lot to like about it. Um, it is uh, it is a fantastical, fun kind of journey. Um, the dinosaurs, awesome. Some of the action set pieces, amazing. I mean, just, you know, that first scene where the the dino, the, uh, the T-Rex, was it the T-Rex that got out first? Um, no, uh, was he the one with the vision problems? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, as I was thinking, it was a T-Rex. When he gets out and he eats the lawyer and everything, it's just amazing. Great stuff. Um, you know, even some of the Velociraptor scenes are pretty great work, especially what they're able to accomplish in 1993. And certainly I, I have a lot of affection for Steven Spielberg's tone and the way he shoots films. That being said, uh, I mean, think of some of Steven Spielberg's great works like Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, uh, The Last Crusade, um, Hook, you know, uh, Schindler's List, um, Minority Report. I mean, all these films are better films in my opinion than Jurassic Park. But I still rec- like I still think that because it's considered a classic and because in some ways it is a classic that you should see it. So, all that said, I'm going to give this film 3 out of 5 stars. And I know that I have hurt your heart, Joe, but that is that is the <laughs> way I rate this film. I am my own special snowflake. I'm sorry. I, I know everybody else in the <laughs> world loves this film with all of their heart. I give it 3 out of 5 stars. Okay. Okay. IMDb users rate this film 8.0 out of 10 stars and Rotten Tomatoes, the critic consensus or the critic uh, uh, overall rating is uh, approval rating is 93% and the audience overall approval rating is 93 or 90%. So I am the only one in the world that doesn't really care for this film as much. Again, I I don't hate it. It's fine. Um, Hmm. So despite my complaints. Uh, TJ, how do you explain yourself? (laughs) I, I just did. I just explained myself. You've just added to your cinema sins. I'm sorry. Uh, what, what what kind of uh, penance should I offer for my cinema sins? Mm, three million years in fossilization. Uh, in a sarlacc pit? No. Don't be silly. <laughs> All right, Joe. Well, this brings us to the end of our podcast. Tell the fine folks where they can keep up with you. Okay. I'm available on Twitter. I'm underscore Joe Darnell. I'm also available from this podcast and past episodes and two other shows. I have tectonic.fm. You can find the tech podcast there. 
and the coffee show, which is at topbrew.fm. Tectonic spelled T-E-C-H, tonic. All right, that's where you can find Joe. You can find me on Twitter. I am at TJ Draper Pro, and that's where I have all kinds of pithy and fun things to say. I'm sure that everyone in the world will want to follow me, especially now that I have wowed you with my wonderful, glowing review of the beloved Jurassic Park. But that is where you can find me. If you want to find show notes for this episode, they are at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 140. All the links, uh, everything that we talked about that is linkable will be in the show notes. That's where you'll find them. Uh, we will uh, find a film to review for next week. We uh, just i are not well enough prepared to tell you what it is right now, but we'll figure it out and we'll review a film next week. You all have fun at the cinema this week and we'll let you know what it is sometime. See you later, Joe. I'll talk to you, Joe. That's the Jurassic World trailer. I want the Jurassic Park trailer. Oh, dude, I have it. I already linked it. It's in the show notes. Where? Um... It's where I always thought it should be. Let's see. It says IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, Box Office Mojo, trailer. Here we go. Don't thank me. Thank the savings. This is the weirdest trailer ever. skip this Geico ad because it's already over. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. (laughs) What is happening? Uh, That was weird.